Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get comfortable and tell everybody in your home right now, get comfortable. Come on, kids, get comfortable. Pay attention. Put your phones away unless you're pulling up your Bible, your U version. And, uh, and so for the scriptures that we're going to be studying, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. So turn to Philippians chapter 3. My message is entitled, Pressing On in 2021. Pressing On in 2021. Let's pray like we always do as we open up God's word together. Father, we thank you today for your word, and I just thank you for everybody that's a part of Northwest Church. I pray for your blessing on every man, woman, and child, every household. We thank you, Lord, that you're moving in our hearts and in our homes. And so I just pray, God, that you would strengthen us, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us as we move forward into 2021, and we do so with our hope completely set on you. We thank you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hey, I have a question for you. Where were you this time last year in 2019? Moving into the new year, can you remember what you were thinking about? Can you remember what you were feeling? Can you remember what you were excited about? Maybe what promises God had spoken to you about? What about scriptures that God had given you, journal entries that you had made? What were you excited about as you moved into the new year that you really felt that sense of not just optimism, but faith? I can tell you how I felt. I was moving into 2020 with great faith. Our church was growing. My family was settled. Things were really growing. Everything was great. I mean, gosh, God was moving salvations, baptisms with the Holy Spirit, healings. We were seeing great things done. And even as we moved into 2020, that's what we saw for the first couple months. I mean, God was moving powerfully in our midst, still is, but that's what it was like as I began to move into the new year. And I began to as the new year started to progress, it went from having faith for God doing more to having faith that God would keep us together. You know, I mean, it was just an amazing thing that like we were believing for more one minute and the next minute we're like, God, I pray that you would strengthen us, unify the church, bring us together, speak to us about how we should respond in this season. You know, some seasons our faith helps us to endure. And some some seasons, our faith helps us to advance. Either way, our faith is necessary and God is the giver of faith. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the lifter up of our heads. And I've noticed how this season full circle puts me right to where I am today and you as well. And we're facing a new year. And I don't believe in New Year's resolutions per se, but I do think there's something special about having that sense of newness as we transition into a new year. What have we learned in 2020? What has God spoken to us about that year? And how can we set our heart on him so that we enter the new year in the right way? Full circle, I've got great faith right now for where God is bringing us. And that is built upon months and months and months of going through all kinds of things together. You've had to go through them in your home, your job, with your family, and with your church. And the same is true for me. The same is true for all of us. But I believe that what the Lord wants to do is God wants to give us great faith for the days ahead. He wants to tell us and teach us what it means to press on into 2021. 
And I believe that we're gonna read something today in Philippians chapter three that's gonna encourage us how to do that. Not just that we should do it, but how to do it. We're gonna learn today from the Apostle Paul. I'm gonna read to you Philippians chapter three, verses one through 21. By the way, that's the whole chapter. We're just gonna go the whole chapter, just like we do in the daily word. And so it's gonna take me a moment, but this is how this chapter starts in verse one. The Apostle Paul writes, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, yeah, that's a good name there. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in viewing of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I might lay hold of that for which I also, also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if any, in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also, we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me give you a little bit of context for the city of Philippi and the church at Philippi. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul somewhere around 60 AD, and he's writing this to the believers in the city of Philippi. Based on chapter one, we know that he's writing from a Roman prison. It's one of the, what we call prison epistles. Philippi was a Roman colony, and the people of the city prided themselves on their Roman citizenship. It's probably why the Apostle Paul says several times in the letter to the church at Philippi that our citizenship 
is in heaven, that it is in the kingdom of heaven. Why would he say that? He's saying that probably because they prided themselves on their Roman citizenship. The church in Philippi was about 10 years old and it was founded during the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, which we read uh, recently here in Acts chapter 16 at the Daily Word. From the same chapter in Acts, we know that there's no synagogue in the city, which means that it was overwhelmingly a Gentile city. Mostly, a lot of the people, the Gentiles that lived here, were formerly in the military. And so you've got a lot of military-minded people. And Paul doesn't quote any Old Testament passages. He doesn't speak to the Jewish mindset, which reveals to us that he's predominantly speaking to the Gentile mind. Paul's primary purpose for writing this letter to the church at Philippi was to thank them for a financial gift that they sent to, sent to him while he was in prison. And as a result of that, he figured he would say a lot of other things like he normally does. Now, I sort of relate to Paul because he takes every opportunity to pack a lot in there. And he does that, you can tell by just his sentences. They're like paragraphs, you know. He's got the longest run-on sentences in the world. And apparently he didn't have an editor and the Holy Spirit didn't edit any of this. But no, I'm just messing with you. It was a lot different back then. But there are a lot of things that he says, chapter one to chapter four. Let me just summarize some of it for us. In chapter one, he gives them a report of how he is doing, which is of great concern to them. They wanted to know how Paul was doing. He also encourages the church to rejoice in all circumstances. And we're talking about persecution on one hand and dilution of the gospel on the other. They had many that were preaching the gospel out of different motives. And Paul said, who cares as long as they're preaching the gospel? They were very concerned that because it wasn't being done the right way and wasn't coming from the right motive, that it needed to stop or cease. And Paul gives them some encouragement on how to handle that in chapter one. In chapter two, Paul calls them to humility. He calls them to unity and he shows them and shares with them again, the pattern of Jesus, that he's not just the payment for our sins. He's the pattern for our life. And he also asked them to welcome the ministry of his companions that he sent to them, which were carrying the letter that we're reading today. In chapter three, which we're studying, he called them to truly lay hold of Christ as their ultimate calling in relationship with him, no matter what may be happening. Chapter four, he pleads with the church. In their house churches, there were two women that were not in reconciled relationship, and he calls them to reconciliation, both for themselves and as an example for the church, that this is what we do. This is who we are. We're people that forgive, and we're people that reconcile. And he closes out the letter by warning them about those that were causing division among the church, both theologically and also practically. There's a lot of things that Paul had to say, all of these things are worthy of an actual message, but we're actually focusing today on chapter three and two times the apostle Paul uses this phrase. And this is the phrase that I've put into the title of this message. He uses the phrase, I press on, I press on. Friends, that's what we wanna do. The apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi, probably because the Holy Spirit has shown something to him about what it looks like to press on, to press in. And he tells that to the church. And I believe that we can glean that message for us as well. We wanna learn how to press on in 2021. And there's some principles out of this chapter and these passages that I think are gonna help us in the days ahead. And so the first one that I wanna share with you is we must be clear about our purpose. 
I'm sure that the Apostle Paul needed to be reminded about this many times and what he was doing and where he was going. Now he's literally in a jail cell and he's reflecting on his life and his ministry. And I believe in, in those times of great difficulty that the Holy Spirit will refresh our call. He'll, reflect, he'll refresh our purpose. He'll remind us of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And look what he says in verse eight through 11. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Another translation says, becoming like him in his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. There are two things here in these passages or these verses that I believe the apostle Paul is saying about our purpose, his purpose, the church's purpose, our purpose. The first one is our purpose is to know Jesus. He makes that very clear. I count all things a loss that I might know Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's all about, in Paul's mind, having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about ministry. Ministry flows out of intimacy. And he was reminded that the first and most important thing is that we have an abiding, vibrant relationship with Jesus, that that is constantly growing and we are pressing into our relationship with him. We're beholding his beauty. And he gives this comparison. He says that I, I count everything loss, right? In comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, which is of surpassing value. It is more important than anything. It is the most valuable thing that I have is my relationship with Jesus. He's in chains. He's literally in prison. And he's saying the thing that I'm reminded of, the thing I want you to remember, the thing that's most important, especially when things don't work out the way that you thought they should, is that this is what it's all about. It is all about knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he said that in the face of so much loss. Paul lost everything. He wasn't just being facetious here. He's saying, I counted, I lost all things for Christ. He lost his status. He lost his freedom. He lost his reputation. He lost his comfort. He lost respect from people who previously used to respect him and who he once was. And he's saying, none of that matters because I have found something that is more valuable than everything else in all of this world. And in the face of loss, Paul could say that it's all about my relationship with Jesus. See, the purpose of his life became the passion of his ministry. The purpose of his life became the passion of his ministry. God has called all of us to some kind of ministry, but the centrality of our ministry has to be relationship with Jesus. That is what it's all about. It's why we would serve others. It's, it's, why, it's what we would say to others when we're serving them. It's all about Jesus. Can you and I say this in the face of any loss that we've had to endure or suffer this year? Can we say that the most important thing, no matter what I've lost, is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the purpose. Let's come back to the purpose for which we were created and God will help us to do just that. Don't just say yes. And Ben, of course, my relationship with God is the most important thing. Don't just say that, reflect on it. 
think about it, consider. Consider, have I lost, maybe you haven't lost your relationship with God, but have you lost sight of it? Have you lost sight of the beauty of Jesus, being with him, spending time with him and knowing that that is the most important place for you and I to be? Well, that's not the only purpose. He actually mentions two things. First is to know Jesus and second is to become like Jesus. And I told you the NIV in verse 10 says, becoming like him in his death. Paul's making it clear here that he understands the very thing that he told the Roman church in Romans chapter eight and verse 28 and 29. Remember he said, and we know that all things, good and bad, work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That Greek word for purpose, it's prothesis and it's referring to that singular thing that's most important that God is about, that he is doing. It's like the thesis of a paper. You could take a 10 page paper and you could summarize it into that one thing. This is what all of these words are all about. This is what all of our life is all about. And he says in verse 29, what all of our life is about. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why all things work together for good because God is doing something inside of us. He is making us like Jesus. This was God's purpose from the beginning. Genesis chapter one and verse 26 says that God created us in his image according to his likeness. Well, sin, God formed us, sin deformed us, and the Holy Spirit is reforming us to be like Jesus. This is so vital for us to grasp because the most important thing in our life is to know him and to become like him and everything else flows from that. Friends, listen, I don't wanna be, uh, my goal was never to be a pastor. My goal isn't to be a good pastor. My goal is to be a Christ-like pastor. My goal isn't to be a good parent. My goal isn't to be a good husband. My goal is to be a Christ-like husband. It's to be a Christ-like parent. See, whatever, thing is that, whatever that thing is that we reach as our goal, if our goal is lesser than becoming like Christ, we need an upgrade. We need to realize that the purpose of our life is, is not to get this job or this promotion or this marriage or this relationship or those kids or that house or this ministry. It's that all of these things flow out of an intimacy in our relationship with God. And also all of these things pale in comparison to the absolute purpose of God for our life to make us like Jesus. That's why he created us in his image, according to his likeness. So no matter what happens in our life, he is working something inside of us that everything around us cannot take from us unless we allow it. If we allow the things around us to stop what God wants to do in us, then we're losing the purpose of which, for which God has created us. And Paul in chains was reminded of what this was all about. This is about knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and it's about becoming like him. And he wanted the church to remember that. That's why he told them, the church at Philippi, I want you guys to think about this, pray about this, meditate on this. I want you to remember this. And if we're gonna press on in 2021, I think we gotta remember the purpose for which all of this is about, whether we're facing loss or not, no matter how much loss that might be, that we can be reminded of our purpose. Well, he doesn't stop there. He moves on to then talking about, we must have the right perspective. Look what he says to the church here in verse 12 through 16. He says, not that I have already obtained it, it being relationship with Christ and also 
an understanding of becoming like him. I haven't arrived. I'm not fully there yet or have already become perfect. I press on so that I might lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on, there it is, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, some translations would say mature, which is the better translation, have this attitude, and if anything In anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Paul's perspective here is powerful. Listen, he's bound in physical chains, but yet he has more freedom than those that he's writing to. Why? Because he has the right perspective. Paul may be bound in physical chains. He may have lost all of this, his comfort, his freedoms and all that, but he realizes because he's been restored to his purpose, because he's got the right perspective, he's more free than anybody that is personally bound. He knows who he is, he knows who God is, and he knows what he's supposed to be about right now. He's got the right perspective. And there's a couple things that I wanna highlight that I think he's saying in this that will teach us to have the right perspective as well. The first one is he saw and confessed his need for growth. Self-awareness is quite a gift in my opinion. If you don't know, you probably won't grow. Come on, somebody, go ahead and smile at your spouse, your kids, smile at yourself if you have to. If you don't know, you probably won't grow. Here's the apostle of the church telling them in print that he is not perfect and he needs to grow. I mean, there's something powerful about spiritual leaders, fathers and mothers, employers, those that are in authority to saying, I haven't figured it all out yet. I'm not all the way perfect yet. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And not just generally, but specifically, he's saying, listen, I have not already attained it. My relationship with the Lord Jesus isn't everywhere I want it to be. I'm not fully like him, just like I want to be. I love the fact that the apostle of the church is the first one to say it. And he's reminding the church, we've got to be willing to say we've got a lot of growth ahead. If we're going to press on in 2021, we've got to be willing to say, I got to grow. If we're looking at everyone else and everything else, and we're not looking at ourselves, we're not self-aware of what God is doing inside of us, we're going to miss it. We're going to brush off our need for growth. We're going to brush off what God wants to do in our life, which by the way, is what will cause ministry to flow out of us then we're not gonna be where God wants us to be. And I I just wanna tell you, I have not done everything in 2020 perfectly. I'm very aware of that. I can admit it. 2020 revealed areas of my heart and the Lord showed me things. I'm more selfish than I thought I was. I'm more reactive than I thought I was. I can get hurt more than I thought I could. All of that's true. And I just had to give that over to the Lord. You know, the thing about being a pastor, and, and maybe this isn't for all of us, but I think it's true for all of us to some degree, is that a lot of times you're supposed to be there all the, all the way. You're supposed to be farther than maybe you really are. And the reality is, is that you just have to be willing to be honest, but at the same time, you have to be willing to give that over to the Lord. I pray to God that my life could, could be an example. I pray that your life could be an example, that ultimately when people look at Christians, it's a bright light, not shining on the perfect, but shining on the perfect process of people that give their hearts to Jesus, people that are overwhelmed with his perfection. And we constantly are surrendering to him so that he might produce something in us that he's intended from the beginning of all of this when he created us. 
I've noticed all kinds of things that sometimes self-righteousness can be a tool to judge others instead of humble ourselves. And you know what? It's not time to be people that are self-righteous. We wanna be people that are humble, full of humility, constantly surrendering to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Where do you need to grow? As you move into a new year, what is that area? I mean, it's funny because physically we usually know. It's like, I got a few pounds here. I got a few pounds here. I hate looking at myself on camera. I'm not saying that's true for me. Uh, it might be, but I, I hate the fact that that's the reality. I'm not a person that gets up in, in the morning, looks in the mirror and says, you're welcome. You know, I'm just not that kind of a person. And I know there are people out there and they got the chiseled abs and they got the beautiful everything and all that. I've never been that. I'm a pretty average person and I'm totally content with that. But the reality is, is that we want to be self-aware. And often we know physically what we need. We often think, oh, I really need this and I need that. But what about spiritually? What do we need to grow in in 2021? What has God been saying to you? What is God saying to you? Well, the fact is, is if we're going to press on, we need to know those areas where we need to grow. The second thing I think he's saying here is, is we got to let go of the past. We got to let go of the past. He says, I'm forgetting those things that are behind and I'm laying hold of what is ahead. I, I don't know that he's talking about sins necessarily. Maybe he is. I, I don't really know. It doesn't say what those things are. But I think Paul just reflecting in a jail cell in chains, I think he's talking about discouragements. I think he's talking about doubts and disagreements and divisions, potentially some disillusionment. He faced a lot of things and maybe things didn't go the way he thought they would. And that really is what happens to Christians, right? You start out, when you give your life to Jesus, you got joy unspeakable. You got peace that passes understanding. Come on, all the cliches and scriptures start coming out. You didn't have to pay for them. They were just given to you as a gift. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, everything's awesome. The first couple months, it's like, you're just floating on a cloud, you know, just me and Jesus. And I just love, 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 love everybody and everything. You know, hey, I love you. I love you. That's just your MO. It's who you are. But then all of a sudden that pressure on the outside starts to try to conform what God has given to you on the inside. And now you got to make some real decisions. Now you got to face discouragement. Now you got to face pain because life's not perfect. What's on the outside has, hasn't necessarily changed, even though what's on the inside is strong enough to endure it. But we have to learn how to choose. We've got to learn how to, how to actually combat what's trying to come against us. But we do that by what God gives to us. There was a lot of loss for us in 2020, all right? I mean, I lost friends. I lost some respect from a few. I lost some encouragement for a season. I lost my joy. I had to recapture all that, and I did that through Christ. He gave it to me. But there's this sense that Paul says, we've got to forget those things which lie behind. And there are some things that we need to forget. There are things that we need to forgive. There are things we need to forget. There are things we need to let go of. And the truth is, is that you and I need to consider what that is and lay it down. But I wanna also remind you, not everything in 2020 is worth laying down. Not everything is negative, not everything is bad. And I think sometimes we're crossing over into this year and probably more than any other year, we wanna say, oh, I can't wait till 2020 is over and I'm in 2021. I don't know if that's the best perspective to have because everything in 2020 was not that bad. In fact, I can tell you, this is probably one of the greatest years of my personal growth, even though it was hardest. And that sometimes you can't grow without pain. You can't grow without difficulty. You can't grow without confrontation. You can't grow without loss. I know it's hard to say that. And sometimes in the flesh, we don't wanna agree with that. But I'll tell you what, it is true. It's absolutely true 
that God's done things inside of us we'll be reflecting on for years. And I just wanna remind you that don't throw everything out in 2020. Just forget those things which lie behind that don't need to come with you into your future, right? In order for us to move into our future, we've gotta realize that our past can't come. But we do wanna remember the things that are worthy to give God glory. And I just wanna encourage you on a church level. You need to do that within your family, within your heart, and within every arena of your life, but just as a church, because we're the family of God together, I wanna tell you about some things that the Lord did, that you did, that we did in 2020 that we do not wanna forget, but that we constantly wanna remember. And the first is just dealing with finances, okay? We paid off our building, okay? We're a church that's 42 years old, and we've been in this facility for some time. First, the, the first part of the building was built, then the addition, maybe about 13, 14 years ago. And we've owed and we've been paying off on this mortgage and this property for many years, but we paid it off in advance. We were able to do that in the first almost second quarter of the year. We wrote that almost $400,000 check and we paid it all off. So now we are debt-free financially. Praise God, that's you. And that's the history of the saints of God at Northwest Church putting their money where their mouth is saying, we're just gonna pay this off and we're gonna live debt-free. And so we thank God that this house, our house is now paid off. We're debt-free. We also were able to assist over 60 plus families. There are probably many more, but I just wanna be conservative on our numbers. We were able to assist over 60 families with rent, rent assistance, utility help, car care, and all kinds of other practical assistance up to almost $100,000 in our benevolence ministry, we were able to give away as we assisted families that were in need. We also provided about 100 families a week with groceries, about 100 families. We got up to about 120 at the height of the pandemic. That's a week. We didn't have to change anything to start serving people food. We've been doing it for years. It's about 40 volunteers every week to help put this together. Debbie Moore and Susanne Clovedal, our missions and outreach pastor, and also our food pantry coordinator, they oversee this effort every week that's been going on. And all we did is we just increased it. And so I thank God for them. I thank God for you, all of you volunteers. That's about 100 families a week that were served groceries, boxes of all kinds of food, bags of food, milk, bread, eggs, tortillas. We're giving away this stuff every week. And if you were to just put that into monetary value, check this out. It's about $85 a week to provide one family with the amount of groceries that we give them. Times 100, that's $8,500 a week. And if you do the math, that's 400 plus thousand dollars a year that we've been providing groceries for families that are in need. That's right. That's not a typo. We're talking $8,500 a week. Do the math. 400 plus thousand dollars, almost a half a million dollars worth of food that we've given out. And you know what? We didn't just do that because it was a pandemic. We've been doing it every single year. So praise God for his faithfulness. And I wanna thank you for your generosity. Let me talk to you about missions for a minute for 2020. We gave $42,400 away to support missionaries who are working in countries like Slovakia, England, Ethiopia, Mexico, Thailand, Germany, and so much more. We've supported 12 long-term missionaries and we never had to let go of our support. We gave away $7,000 to organizations to help feed the hungry, Kenya, Mexico, Thailand. We recently gave 30 something thousand dollars 
to Foursquare Disaster Relief to help Foursquare pastors who had lost their finances and we were able to help provide for them during this COVID season. 30, I think it's 35 grand that we were able to support these pastors. They have no income now because they lost jobs and COVID caused them to lose support. The world is hurting a lot more than most of us and we've been able to provide support. We gave $9,700 away to short-term missions, 9,000 to local organizations to, who minister to youth and supporting families of violent crimes and those that we were giving away for resources for the homeless. This year, our congregation pulled together and under the leadership of Pastor Suzanne and many who serve, thank you to all who serve, we were able to put together over 200 gifts. And they're not really just gifts, they're like a gift to a child, but they're many gifts. Over 200 of those, they're like four or five gifts in one gift. I always thought that was funny. It's 200 gifts. It's really 200 times four. We were able to give that to 200 kids to bless them during this Christmas season. Thank you to those of you that served. Dozens and dozens of volunteers. In February, we had our Unity of Prayer event led by Pastor Darvey. We had hundreds of people join for a one church in the city event where we raised over $10,000 and we gave that to Young Life. Young Life came to us just a few months ago and told us how important that money was to them during this COVID season. It was prophetic is what it was. Not including December, we've seen 115 salvations, 54 rededications, 64 deliverances, 58 water baptisms, 96 Holy Spirit baptisms, and we've prayed 2,354 times for healing in Jesus' mighty name. We, de we dedicated four children to the Lord, which we usually do a lot more, and we will. And we had over 50 people plus another 20 in December say that I wanna be a member of Northwest Church. Every now and again, people say, well, are we losing membership? Friends, we have more people sign on for membership at Northwest Church this year than many other years. And that is so important. What I've noticed about 2020 is people are committing themselves to Jesus and to his family. Hey, and let's not forget, we launched another church in the midst of COVID. At the leadership of Jonathan and Kelly Westfall, we launched Northwest Church Edgewood. Several from Federal Way went over to be with them. We now are one church and three congregations. We have our Hispanic congregation, we have our main congregation, and we have Edgewood as well. God has done so much, and we're not gonna forget that. That is not in the past. That propels us into the future, but there are a lot of things that we wanna, we wanna leave behind as we begin to press on in 2021. The Apostle Paul says one more thing in terms of perspective. He says, he laid hold of the future, reaching into the future with fresh faith, real encouragement and passion. That's not easy to do when you face loss and difficulty, but it's something we must do. That's what it means to have the right perspective. It's that we're laying hold of what we know is true. It may not be true in the natural, but we know the promises of God are true. And this is what the apostle Paul wanted to tell the church at Philippi. He's saying our best days are yet ahead and we're here to advance the kingdom of God and nothing has stopped us. Paul encouraged the church to have the same mind and to unify around the vision, which has always been the truth of the church. And I want us to do the same. As Northwest Church, I'm asking you and I'm praying into laying hold of the future together and all that God wants to do in our lives together as a church. So we're talking about being renewed in our purpose. We're talking about having the right perspective. And there's one more thing that Paul tells the church and I think is really important, especially as we press on in 2021, we must maintain the right 
posture. In verse 17, Paul calls them to take note of others who have walked this out before them. In other words, there are other people that have gone through all this before, and we need to take note of their way in this world as they follow Jesus. It's so important that we're reminded of those that have done this before, and we say, I wanna follow Jesus like they did. They not only maintained their purpose and held the right perspective, but they kept their posture throughout the years. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. We're gonna move into 2021, and we're gonna expect everything to get better. We're gonna put our hope in an outcome rather than in God, unless we make a choice that no matter how it pans out, we're gonna retain our purpose, have the right perspective, and we're gonna keep our posture. You know, posture is how we hold ourselves. It's what keeps us stable or not. And we're gonna need constant adjustments. I remember the first time I ever went to a chiropractor. Now I know some of you are chiropractors and you're watching this. I apologize to you in advance, but I was not a chiropractor believer. I was thinking like it was some kind of magic where somebody just like cracked you because they really enjoyed that. And they said, how you doing? And you said, I think I'm better. Come back next week. I thought that it wasn't really helpful. Well, I've been changed but the first time I went to a chiropractor, I remember he's, he's got me standing up there and, he's, and he, t- he said, take off your shirt. And so with, you know, with all shame and embarrassment, I did that. And he's looking at my back and he's like, okay, this is out of whack. This is, you know, that rhymed. This is out of whack. This doesn't look right. And he's saying all these things. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't feel right. Maybe you're right. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know what to think. And he's just kind of looking. He can see what other people can't see. He can see what I can't see. And then he, he doesn't tell me to even stand up straight, but he takes x-rays of my back. And this was really funny because he's showing me this x-ray. He's like, you see this? And I'm like, I, I think so. And, and I don't know what to say. And so then he puts me on this table and he just starts to crack my back and lifts up my leg and cracks this way. And I remember when, when he cracked my neck because I didn't know what this was like. I'd never been to a chiropractor. There were no YouTube videos of people cracking necks and backs like there are today. So you couldn't like look at it in advance. And so he cracks my neck. And all that I could remember was the movies that I had watched growing up. When somebody cracks a neck, you die. Like, that's it. Like, snap, you're over. It's like a kung fu movie. Snap, you're dead. And that's what I was thinking of. And this guy cracks my neck and I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, is that even legal? Like, why do you do that? And then he goes, how do you feel? And I go, I don't know. I didn't know how I felt. And then he does my back and he does it multiple times and I'm laying on my stomach and he's just pushing down on me and things are cracking that I felt like shouldn't crack. He stands me up and he's like, oh yeah, looking better, looking better. You know, all these adjustments and convincing me, you feeling good? And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm feeling good. He's like, come back next week. And so I'm like, all right. What was amazing was five minutes outside of, of the chiropractor's office, I actually did start to feel better. Things started loosening up and I wasn't just thinking that. It was amazing. I started to feel better. So I went to him like four times. And then at the end of that time, he gave me these exercises. And here's what he said. Now, I won't forget this. He said, Ben, you could come back here every week and I could keep cracking. I could keep trying to adjust you and and bring you back into a good posture. But the reality is, is that if you don't practice these exercises, you're you're not going to fully get to where you need to be. And so he gave me a number of stretches and exercises. And for a while I didn't do them, but then I started doing them and my posture got better. My back felt better. My neck felt better. Everything felt better. You know what I learned from that? I know there's a spiritual principle in this. Number one is in order for us to have the right posture, we we need other people to see what we can't see. And so we've got to have an openness to the Lord. We've got to have an openness to the body of Christ to help us have the right posture. They got to speak into that. And then we need to allow people to make some adjustments. It's so important. 
in this particular story, he gave me exercises that I needed to do. You know, the Lord's gonna give us some exercises that we need to do. We need to be people of the word, people of prayer, people of fasting, people of fellowship. This is why I am so committed to the local church, whether I'm a pastor or not. You're gonna see me and my family in one service and we're all together. This is what I've chosen to do because I want the value of church to be constantly abiding in my own family. I, I want that to be the case for all of us. It's so important that we have these regular exercises that keep our posture because what's gonna happen is we're gonna get two months into this thing and we're gonna feel like stuff is supposed to be better and then it's not. And then we're gonna lose our posture. We're gonna kind of start to slouch spiritually and then it gets worse. But if no matter what happens on the outside, if we maintain this posture in God, we have our purpose in him that's renewed and our perspective is right. We will press on in 2021 and no matter what happens, it will not be able to rob from us what God has called us to do. And that's what this is all about. Paul's experiencing this renewing in a prison cell. He's encouraging the church at Philippi. And friends, you know what? I believe that God wants us to be encouraged as well. Let me close by saying this. 2020 was one of the hardest years for me. I'm assuming for many of you it was as well. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, and I want to represent my family in this, it has been an honor to do life with you. In one of the hardest seasons of our lives, we spent that together and we did it. We, we made it to this point. God has adjusted us. God is repurposing us. God is moving in us and God is gonna use us in a mighty way. And we're creating memories. We're creating memories that we can look back on and we can see what God has done. It's exciting. And I just wanna say thank you for trusting my voice. Thank you for praying for me, encouraging me. Thank you for trusting our staff and our pastors and our leaders. Their hearts are right. Our hearts are right. But we're in this together. We're a family. You know, it's not just the, the pastors and the people. We're all in this together. Some of us have roles for this or for that, but the fact is, is that we need each other. And you've been able to trust me. We've been here 17 months, almost 18 months. You've trusted me. You've allowed for me to grow right before your very eyes in all the transitions that we've had. And there's so many things that God is in the process of doing. And I'm excited to talk to you more about all of the new stuff that's coming, not just for new sake, but the Lord has put vision into our hearts. The Lord has given us that new vision that builds upon the old. It doesn't, it doesn't move it away and, and tear it down. It builds on who we are and where we come from. But you're a loving church. You're a generous church. We together are what God has, is, is, has called us to be. And we're growing and we're going together. I wanna say this too, and this is sort of one of those strange moments, but I think it's important that I do this. During 2020, I don't know what everything that has happened. I don't know how everyone has felt. A lot of us are at home. A lot of us, maybe we haven't had as much fellowship. Maybe we haven't talked. Maybe you didn't know me and you couldn't reach out to me. And maybe that's been the case for the pastors on staff because we've had a lot of transition. But if I've said anything or if I've done anything or there's been points of disagreement or maybe you've just felt uncomfortable and, and you weren't on site and so we couldn't talk that out. I just wanna apologize. If there are mistakes that I've made. My heart's been right the whole time, but I can honestly say, maybe looking back there, there are things that, yeah, if I knew more or if I was maybe more mature, I would have done them differently. I, I don't have regrets right now in that I could have done something better because I was functioning with the knowledge and the maturity that I had. But yeah, I mean, you look back, 2020 is hindsight. Come on, you never thought that would be, a thing, and it is. 
But I just, from the bottom of my heart, I love our church. I love our history. I love our future. I'm excited about where we're going, but I am sorry if there's something that for some reason it didn't happen the right way, come out the right way, and I could have done a better job. Sure, that's very, very true. But I love you. I love our church. I'm excited about where we're going. We are pressing on into 2021 together. And I look forward to it. And I pray that you do as well. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I thank you for all that you have done in and through us in this last year together. As Northwest Church, we are built on such a rich history. And the history is God working in and through a people to accomplish much for the gospel. And I pray, God, that you would infuse us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us that holy anticipation and expectation of the years to come. Our best years are yet ahead. And I just pray for all of your people. I pray for our church family, that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged, that we would be united. And Lord, we would move together and press on into this new year. No matter what comes our way, Lord, we know who you are. We know whose we are. We know what we're about. And we thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you for your encouragement in our lives. We choose to press on into this new year and give it all to you in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.